Hello, and welcome to BJGP Interviews. I'm Nada Khan, and I'm one of the associate editors of the BJGP. Thanks for taking the time today to listen to this podcast. In today's episode, we talk to Dr. Patrick Birch, who is a GP and a This Institute PhD Fellow at the Centre for Primary Care and Health Services Research at the University of Manchester. We're going to talk about the paper he's published recently here in the BJGP titled An Observational Study of How Clinicians, Patients and the Healthcare System Creates the Experience of Joined-Up Continuous Primary Care in the Absence of Relational Continuity. So thanks, Patrick, for joining us here today to talk about this work. Um, Continuity is a topic we come back to time and time again here at the BJGP, and surprisingly, I suppose, for general practice. In the introduction to this paper, you talk about the different components of continuity. And imagine most people will be familiar with that relational continuity between a patient and their GP. But talk us through the other aspects of continuity that you wanted to look at here. Yeah, sure. I mean, there are multiple kind of academic models of continuity. And I think the reason they're there is just recognizing that there is more to continuity than just, you know, clinicians seeing the same patient. And you can look at continuity, I guess, from multiple perspectives. You can look at it from the perspective of the clinician, you can look at it from the perspective of the patient, or you can look at it from the perspective of the healthcare system. And the the, the approach that I've sort of taken in this paper is the perspective of the patient. Uh, and continuity in the sense of re- receiving seamless healthcare. And obviously, one element of that is seeing the same clinician or relational continuity as it's referred to. Now, as I said, there are, there are, there are several different academic models, and probably one of the most cited is one but from about 2003 by um, a Canadian team led by an academic called Haggerty. So it tried to summarize all these different models of continuity out there, and it essentially divided continuity into three parts. It divided it into relational, so seeing the same clinician or having an ongoing relationship with the clinician. Uh, informational, so having access to information, that's the patient and the clinician. And then this kind of slightly strange notion or slightly woolly notion of management continuity, which is kind of treating patients in a seamless fashion or receiving seamless care and having kind of joined up care in between services. So I've loosely based my sort of framework on those three components so the relational, the informational, and the, and the management. And you take a slightly different slant on, yeah, just looking at the relational continuity in practice. And you look at this patient experience of continuity, and specifically in that extended access clinic, patients access in evenings and in weekends. And that's care that's sometimes provided away from a patient's usual practice and usual GP. But talk us through what you did here in the paper. It was a two-site comparative study. Is that right? Yeah, so it looked at two extended access providers, which which were were delivering care away from where the patient was, and I deliberately picked those because I thought, well, I knew there would be a lack of relational continuity. So then the other elements, the informational continuity, and this sort of ability to deliver seamless care between clinicians becomes more important. So by examining extended access in these in this kind of context, you can kind of see the problems and the way that these other 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 elements work. And the point was to look at the patient's experience then of how they found this joined up care in this uh, setting where they weren't seeing their normal GPs, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it was it was to see the patient the patient's perspective, but also to see the potential for patients to receive seamless care because what counts as seamless care to one patient may not to another. And, and there's a section in the paper where I talk about you know this thing about asking patients the same question. So they've been seen by one clinician 
who takes the history and then gets seen by another one who asks the same questions. And there's assumption, an assumption that patients hate this, and a lot of them do. And as clinicians, we kind of know why why that is done. And but actually, different patients have different responses to that. So one of them said it's you know it's very reassuring that they do that, so that they're checking. Another one said. Well, I don't, you know, it doesn't bother me too much. I can understand why they do it or they didn't. And, and then others absolutely hated it. So the same experience to different patients, it, 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 you know, it's, it's a subjective thing. What is seamless joined up care? So I looked at, yes, how patients found it, but also the potential for patients to receive what would appear to be joined up seamless care, if that makes sense. Mm, yeah, really interesting to think about it from that perspective and that not every one patient's going to have the same perspective on it. Um, but coming on to the results here, um, and you look at the different factors at different levels, but could we start here about the factors at the level of the staff and clinicians that can impact on whether patients experience seamless or joined up care? Yes. So in regards to the clinicians, and that's one of the most interesting things, because I think there's, there's known about patients and what makes patients, I guess, either complex or non-complex, and also about health systems. But actually looking at the clinicians was, was interesting. And I've presented this at a couple of conferences. And there are several factors, really. So I think clinician knowledge uh, is a key thing. So to deliver seamless joint of care to a patient, you need to know what's going on with them. You need to understand from a, from a medical, clinical knowledge point of view, you, you, you need that, obviously. But you also need to know the the healthcare system in which you're operating in. So, you know, for instance, you can you can be an expert on, I don't know, um, asthma management. Um, but if you don't know, um, do you have access to spirometry at local clinics? Are there asthma nurses? What's the hospital services in your area like for asthma? Then however knowledgeable you are, you can't offer a joined up seamless care because you, you you haven't got that knowledge of the of the, of the um I guess the wider health system, and um, and so that was almost as key as, as it was to clinical knowledge. Likewise, I think the attitude towards risk um that came out as well, and, and I think the attitude towards risk is informed by clinical knowledge and knowledge of the local healthcare system. So those kind of you know. I think sometimes people who aren't clinicians often think there's, you know, there's a right answer in primary care. You know, should you admit this patient or shouldn't you? But you know, as clinicians, we know there are these kind of grey areas where sometimes some clinicians quite rightly might say, well, actually, I'm going to monitor this patient at home. Um, and other clinicians, again, quite rightly would say, no, I'm going to send that patient in. And so I think how seamless the care seems to the patient, even though the circumstances to the patient are the same, there are clinician factors that, that affect how you behave and how that comes across to the patient. So knowledge, clinical knowledge, knowledge of the health, of the sort of wider healthcare system, attitude to, towards risk, which is intrinsic to the individual, but builds upon those two. And also, I think as a clinician, and this is a sort of slightly less tangible thing, how you feel about delivery of continuity. So some of the clinicians that I spoke to in extended access thought, well, I'm, well said, I'm only there to deliver an acute episode of care I'm not there to provide ongoing care and so they'd be very much well I can't deal with that you need to go back to your GP well others tried to make it as seamless as possible for them said well I'll send a message back to your GP or you know you can do x y and z or I'll try and do this for you in the interim so that's something I've kind of termed the performance of continuity the degree to which the clinician tries to make the service seamless from the aspects which are in their control and I guess that feeds into the next sort of area, the big another big factor at play, which was the system level or healthcare system design issues that can impact on these patient experiences. So what did you find here? Um, 
I, I mean, I think there's a whole multitude of system factors. And, uh, you know, I, I don't in the paper say system factors are more important than these other factors because I think they're all important. But, you know, the nature of appointment systems is obviously obviously important. If you can't get appointments with the same clinician, you know, that stops relational continuity. And the capacity for patient choice and just the capacity of the system in general. So, you know, if patients can't get into services that they will be better seen in, they end up using other services, which is then less seamless. The physical location timing of services, so where these where these services were located, and um, and interestingly, a lot of the majority of patients that used extended access in the evenings and weekends, they didn't want to be there. They would rather have had an appointment in their own practice, but it was a it was capacity issues. And then rules and regulations, so rules relating to you know um, data sharing, things like that. That 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 has a big impact on what clinicians can see, what they can do, how clunky the whole process seems. And coordination mechanisms. So there's, there's there's multiple things, and I think as well the links into the staff issues is how nice, if you like, the system is to work in. If you don't retain staff in a system that's awful to work in, they don't retain staff, and so that feeds into the, the staff issues that you get a new staff and they don't know the system, they can't provide the seamless care. Yeah, absolutely. And then finally, you also looked here at the patient expectations. So how do these patient expectations and experiences shape their views of how continuity was seen? Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting because I I kind of went into the, this research thinking that you'd, you know, you'd have, uh, I guess, what you might consider a traditional general practice that would see the patients that needed seeing and to some provided relational continuity and to others didn't. Whereas actually what you had were but the majority of patients were coming from practices where they just couldn't get appointments because the practices were so stretched. And when they did get appointment, these a lot of the patients had received relational continuity at some point. They knew a clinician, but in recent years, clinicians had left, you know, owing to the pressures, and they, they didn't have a clinician they saw anyway. So often you had, I was expecting to find that you'd have pet who patients who said, Oh, I like seeing Dr. X, but I had to go to extended access. But actually, they say we never see the same doctor anyway. And extended access was good because we got an appointment. So the, the expectations of the majority of patients were so low in terms of relational continuity and, and joined up care because they were used to seeing multiple clinicians that actually it, it wasn't the kind of stark contrast I was, expect, I was expecting to find. I spoke to another researcher, Jennifer Voorhees, about um, some research that she's done around a paradox of access and continuity. I wonder from this research if you had any reflections just on that. So whether patients or the system favoured access versus continuity or whether you had any thoughts from what you're saying about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this, the system is set up to, to, for access, isn't it? Um, I, I think it's, it's access in the sense of getting an appointment regardless of kind of where it is or who or who it's with and that's what at a political level I think that's what's important and I think what what my you know one of the driving motivations I had for this work is the I think the idea that I think some policymakers or clinicians and at political levels think that well if you're a clinician that knows that knows the medicine and you have access to the notes well that's that's all you need that's all you need to deliver the, the same type of care to each patient and I think the, the key take-home from my, my work for policymakers is know that there's more to it than that. And from the point of view, it's a, a sort of access continuity kind of issue. I know I, know, I work with Jen Voorhees. The, the, the sort of paradox she talks about, I mean, Jen likes to say that you know, it, it shouldn't be a dichotomy, this kind of access continuity. It should be, you know, 
they're part of they both make up access and access is not just about getting appointments and i, and I, and I totally agree with that and, and i think it's it, it is skewed far too far in terms of access and not enough in terms of what that access means and um, jen's just trying to redefine the use of the word access and what it means and i I think she, I agree with that. I think she's got an uphill battle. So I still use access to mean getting an appointment. Um, but maybe that'll change one day. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So you brought these different themes together, the clinician, staff factors, the patient factors and the system factors together and developed a model of how they impact on patient experiences of continuity. Is there anything else you want to mention about this model that you developed? Yeah, I mean, it's a model based on extended access. And so I think it does need kind of you know, looking at again within in terms of, of in hours, but logically, I think a lot of it, you know, it, it, it will apply. And, and I, it, you know, it's primarily there for people to, to to think about when they're designing healthcare systems. So, you know, I think it'd be lovely to go back to the one patient, one GP, golden age of general practice, where we have relational continuity. And, I, and, I, and I, don't get me wrong, I don't think that we shouldn't be trying to do that, and we should be trying to we should be trying to increase relational continuity. But I think at the same time, we have to be realistic and that sometimes patients need to see multiple clinicians. It's better for them, be it specialist opinion, you know, a second opinion. And, and therefore, we need to be able to make care as seamless as possible. And I guess what, what my model does really is kind of give a, a list of factors to people who are, who are looking at the, the larger picture of healthcare, healthcare systems, staff and the patients that are being seen there. You know, what is it that can make care seem, seamless to patients or otherwise? And I put in the, I think in the, in the discussion that actually there are some well-meaning interventions, for instance, you know, where you can have access to the same IT system, therefore care will be seamless now. And the point of this is to show, well, actually, that's just, that's not enough. And you need to consider these other factors as well. Great. And if you, I know that there's quite a lot to sort of summarize here, but if you had a take-home message for those working or designing primary care services about how we could provide a better experience of joined up care for patients using extended access services, what would you want to tell them? I think consider carefully what extended access is used for. Um, I, I, it is not a substitution for the ideal traditional longitudinal care by one GP that you would that you, you can still receive in many general practices. I think you need to th- think about which patients access, access it. So is it a service for all patients or should it be a service, service for a particular group of patients? And I would favour it being for a particular, particular group of patients. Consider the clinicians that are staffing it and how they relate and how, what their knowledge of what the local practices and services are. And, and if they ideally employ people who who are invested in the local community and work for the local community and consider the system factors and a lot of these are you know are, are not within the control of people but it if you can have it integration brilliant and you know the net the, the appointment systems um, and all the other type of things that, you, that can potentially be addressed when designing these great i think that's really helpful And I think that's probably a great place to just wrap things up. But I just wanted to say thanks very much for your time here and for speaking to us today. That's brilliant. And thank you all very much for your time and for listening to this BJGP podcast. Patrick's original research article can be found on bjgp.org and the show notes and podcast audio can be found at bjgplife.com. And I mentioned the podcast that we recorded with Jennifer Voorhees and that went out here on BJGP Life on the 23rd of January, if you'd like to go back and take a listen. Thanks very much for your time and bye.